Alvaro was right, I should not do leg day before I'm coming in here to kneel at my age. Good evening, everyone. Um, I, I do have to apologize. I tried to give a title to this talk, and there must have been some miscommunication between um, Bulai and I. So if you saw it on Twitter, um, that's not the correct title. The actual title of this talk is, no, you don't deserve that. And what prompted this talk was a couple of things. I was actually going to give a different talk, but um, I was expecting a particular passage from Scripture to be the first reading today at Mass because we've been leading up to it, and as the church is wont to do, we just skipped right over that part of the book of Samuel and moved on to the next thing. So um, this is what happens when I take a two-minute weekday homily and turn it into a P3 talk. So... Um, Hopefully it'll be a little longer than a couple of minutes. But the other thing that prompted it was a couple of um, weeks ago, actually back at Thanksgiving, I was in Pennsylvania with my brother. And he and I were talking and he said one of the things that he really despises is when someone announces they're going to do something that's pretty self-centered, uh, especially on social media, and they get a lot of, you deserve it, good for you, right? This whole idea that we somehow deserve things. That, um, that the world owes us something. And most specifically, this idea that God owes us something. That, um, you know, he has an obligation to us. It's sort of the contrast between uh, seeing our relationship with God as a contractual relationship versus a covenantial relationship. And it really starts with a phrase that most of us have probably uttered at some point in our life specifically in our teens, specifically to our parents, specifically when we were in a particularly bad mood, which is, I didn't ask to be born. And it's this idea that somehow, because we are here without our own permission, we're owed something. So as I was thinking about all of this and I was pondering what I was going to say, uh, I have a couple of passages from scripture that I wanna talk about, but actually one of the things that came to mind was a 1997 movie. Uh, starring Al Pacino, and it's, you know, Al Pacino was really great in The Godfather, and as time has gone by, he has become more and more over the top in the way he acts. And in this particular, it's one of his more famous scenes, he's completely over the top, uh, and it's, the film is called The Devil's Advocate. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Keanu Reeves plays a lawyer, so he's the advocate. Guess who Al Pacino is? Al Pacino is the devil incarnate. And in this climactic scene where Keanu Reeves finally realizes who his boss is, uh, that he's working for the devil, Al Pacino goes into this very typically Al Pacino rant. And I just want to share a little bit about it because he's talking about why he does what he does as the devil. And I think it's really kind of insightful. By the way, he goes by the name John Milton, which is not a little bit ironic as the author of Paradise Lost. So he says, um, he's asking Keanu Reeves' character why he's doing what he's doing. So he says, who are you carrying all these bricks for? God, is that it? God, well, let me tell you. Let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you extraordinary gifts. And then what does he do? I swear for his own amusement... For his own private comic gag reel, he sets the rules in opposition. 
It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow. And while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that? Never. And of course, this sort of encapsulates a couple of ideas that can really sink into us if we're not careful. The idea that somehow God doesn't care about us. You know, it's that deist idea that he's the great clockmaker and that he set everything into motion and then he doesn't pay any attention. It's not true. It's one of the great lies that the devil gives to us. And of course, he's trying to present himself as the good guy. He goes on to say, I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation man has inspired to have. I cared about what he wanted and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him in spite of his imperfection. We want to hear this, don't we? We want someone to tell us that we deserve this, that, that you know, our brokenness is the right way we're supposed to be. And that if we indulge our brokenness, that's okay. I mean, this is exactly what the devil did to Eve. He stands in front of her and he tempts her by suggesting that somehow she deserves to be like God. Adam deserves to be like God. We deserve to be like God. And so we get this mindset and we ask ourselves, you know, why doesn't God do what I want him to do, how I want him to do it, and when I want him to do it. Why is God like that? Is he sitting up in heaven laughing at us? Well, the answer is no. The answer is that God loves us more than we can imagine, and he wants what is best for us. And like petulant children, we don't recognize that. I cannot tell you in my almost 10 years of, as a priest, and the literally thousands, hundreds of thousands perhaps of confessions that I have heard. The number of times people have complained to me that God doesn't give them what they want. That God ignores them because they don't get what they want. But my question is, how do you know what is best? How do you know what is really ultimately good for you? I'm sure you've heard me say before that there's nothing God wants more than for you and for me to be with him in heaven for all eternity. And therefore, he will give us everything necessary to get us to heaven. And he will also prevent us from having anything that will keep us from heaven. And that's something that we do lose sight of. In a covenantal relationship with God, he's more concerned about our well-being than we are. But he's given us examples throughout the history of the church and in scripture of people who truly embrace that. And that's where I get to today's, what I thought was going to be today's first reading. Because if you've been coming to mass during the week, um, or if you follow along at home, which is something I do encourage, even if you can't come to daily mass, to read the daily readings. They're available in so many different locations. The iBrevery app, for example, you can get them almost every day. Every now and then it doesn't work. Um, and, and read those daily readings. It'll take you through scripture in a mostly continuous way. 
So what we've, been, what we've been experiencing this week in Scripture is the book of Samuel, as we've entered back into ordinary time. And we start at the very beginning uh, about Samuel's father, um, Elkanah, his mother, Hannah, and Elkanah's other wife, um, uh, Penaniah. And what has happened is Hannah is barren. Hannah is one of the, these women in Scripture who seems to have lost God's favor, seems to be rejected and ignored by God. Like Sarah before her and Elizabeth who will come after, Hannah has no children. And Penaniah spends all of her time taunting Hannah over that fact. Because in Jewish culture, for a woman to be barren is a sign that God closed her womb, that God's favor is not on her. And so they go up to Shiloh to worship and she is very sad. She's praying. And Eli sees her and assumes that she's drunk and insults her. And she explains her whole situation and, and her weariness and her sadness. And we're told that she goes back to her home and God remembers. I love the line in Scripture. You know, she was with her husband and God remembered Hannah. And she conceived. And she didn't just conceive anyone. She conceived probably the most significant prophet of the Old Testament. The man who would anoint Saul as king. The man who would then subsequently anoint David as the, as the king. The, the type of the Messiah who is to come. The great king in whose line Jesus then comes and fulfills the kingship. And so here is this woman who has been desperate for a child, who has prayed and asked God to bless her, and he does. And then what does she do? Well, we're told the man, Elkanah, and his, family, and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weed, I, weaned, I will bring him that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and abide there forever. Her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had, she took him with her, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slew the bull. They brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So Hannah takes Samuel, the child that she so desperately wanted, the child that she asked God for, and she gives him back to God in gratitude for what he has done for her, in gratitude for the fact that God has remembered her. She hasn't abandoned her son. She has made him an offering to the Lord and has allowed Samuel to then take his role in God's plan of salvation. She recognizes that she deserved nothing from God, but that God has 
given her a great gift anyway. And so she seeks to return that gift unselfishly and lovingly. And then she, of course, has a beautiful canticle, which I encourage you to read. It's the beginning of the second chapter of 1 Samuel. And it is the canticle that Mary, in many ways, echoes in her Magnificat, in the presence of one of the other great women of Scripture, the barren woman Elizabeth, who gives birth to another great prophet, right? The prophet who is the best friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, Father, it's, it's easy to be thankful to God and to turn ourselves over to God when things go well. And yeah, it is. But that isn't the only time when God calls us to surrender ourselves to him. To allow him to love us and to live in a covenantal relationship that recognizes that we deserve nothing. That the mere fact that we live is a greater gift than we can ever repay. And that whatever God asks for, of us in return is ultimately something he is asking for our own good. And of course, the ultimate example of that is the great Job. And of course, you've heard the story of Job. Job was a very rich and prosperous man with a large family, with many, many camels, sheep, cattle, everything. And of course, the devil wasn't happy with Job because Job was also a very righteous man. And so Satan gets God's permission to put Job to the test. And we're told that calamities fall. His, his herds are stolen, his slaves are slaughtered. And then we are told in, in chapter 1, verse 33, or 13 to 22, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three companies and made a raid upon the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I have alone have escaped to tell you. These are three of the luckiest guys in the world. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. If anyone has reason to be upset with God, it's Job. And what is his response? Then Job arose, rent his robe, and shaved his head, and fell upon the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what a covenantal relationship is. 
This is recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God and none of it is deserved. We do not deserve our life. We do not deserve our health. We do not deserve our prosperity. We do not deserve our salvation. We deserve nothing. And yet we have received so much. And yet we complain. We're like Job's wife who says to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, his wife. Frankly, I would have been like, if I have to stay married to you, maybe I will. (laughs) But instead he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Evil. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, it's important for us to remember that God doesn't sit around and plot evil. He doesn't want bad things to happen to us. Man, I can't tell you the conversation I tried to have with my brother this past weekend because he's like, why are people the way they are? He said, if I get to heaven, I want to go up to God and said, why did you make us like this? And I looked at him and he said, he didn't. We made us like this. From Adam and Eve to the guy who just cut you off in traffic on your way here. We made us like this. And that is an example of God's permissive will. Because the simple fact is, if you want that guy who cut you off in traffic or that friend of yours who stole your boyfriend or your girlfriend back in high school or anyone else to be changed permanently by God, if you want God to take control of them, you have to let God take control of you, and then we got nothing. It's really easy to get mad at God because we don't get what we want. But it's a lot easier to be grateful to God when we recognize that we don't deserve anything and that everything that we have is a gift. And more importantly, everything we do not have is a gift. All he wants for you is for you to be with him for eternity. And that means you're going to have to suffer a little bit. Nobody gets away from suffering, either in this life or in the next. Either temporarily or permanently. Even God didn't get away without suffering. If you think you deserve something, Remember that he didn't deserve that, but he got it. Everything we get is undeserved. The Lord giveth, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.